Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest bike racing podcast. It's the latest installment of Full Throttle with James Whittam and with me, Greg Haynes. We've just gone off air for the Laguna Seca round of the World Superbike Championship. And well, quite frankly, it's all changed. It really is all changed now. Yeah, completely. Uh, I mean, we saw, uh, we've seen Bautista falling off now. Uh, how many times? Five times in the last four meetings. The championship has really swung. I mean, it's swung at Donington, but it's really swung now. Uh, you worked it all out. Points-wise, he leaves with now an 81-point lead. Does Jonathan Ray... Um, yeah, you, you you couldn't script what happened this weekend. Uh, Bautista's fallen off once of his own accord, same crash, front end, medium speed corner, a little bit of brake on, exactly the same as Jerez and Mazzano, and then got in a bit of a tangle with Toprak Razgatlioglu at turn two, the first hairpin, the Mario Andretti hairpin, and went down the road, went over the top actually, and then went down the road, damaged his shoulder, and so scored no points in that and then pulled in from race three it's just it's been an absolutely I've, I've never seen a meeting short of a real bad injury I've never seen a meeting turn around as bad no, for any rider no, no. ever it's, it's almost as though he's got a self-destruct button somewhere in the garage and he's pressed it because the whole yeah we've seen the championship being thrown away, away before yeah, our yeah, very yeah. eyes and, and you know what now he'll be just expecting to crash and expecting to then the more you think about it the less freely you ride and, and the more tense you are the more you're likely to fall off I've always said if you've had one crash you're more likely to crash again not less it's not like you've got it out of the way and you go forward not worrying you worry every subsequent time then it gets worse and it gets worse so I feel really sorry for him going into the seven week summer break with that just playing on his mind it's, it'll, be, it'll be destroying him well quite frankly what the hell is he going to do now it's obviously he needs good people around him he's got to get the shoulder sorted out he's got loads of time two months for that that should be alright well a bit less than that because there's a test in Portimao but you know what I mean but mentally what do you do now you know what I actually don't know what he does um, he'll be trying to figure out what went wrong looking at the bikes seeing if there's anything there because at Donington you know I was chatting with him and he said oh, we found something on the but we know it's a very similar crash uh, the two crashes uh, uh, Hereth and Misana were very similar crashes, right-handers, second gear, still on the brakes. And they said, we found something in the front end of the bike. You know, he, he alluded to the fact it was the forks. And we fixed it, and I've got a lot more feel now. And that's obviously not the case. I mean, whether they found something or not, it feels like, or it seems like he's got some kind of lack of feel or confidence in the front of the bike. I mean, it's... Um, 
Yeah, weird one, but it certainly he'll be he'll be suffering now for the next few weeks. On the flip side, of course, Jonathan Ray certainly isn't suffering. He's had a tremendous weekend. You could score 62 points maximum every weekend. He scored 57. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, they've never doubted their ability, but looking at the reaction from Jonathan and from Pera Riva and the whole team, it's almost amazement. They can't believe how this has happened. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the swing has been total now. Uh, only dropped five points over maximum over the weekend. And that's a meeting where his main championship rival didn't score a single point. So, you know, I think now the... Kawasaki team, the KRT team, will be thinking, well, that's job not quite done, but certainly we've made it a little bit easier for ourselves now when we come back racing after the summer break. So, fantastic meeting for, for Jonathan and the old Kawasaki squad. Did the job at a circuit that they knew they were going to go well at. But then, you know, you can easily make a mistake or the, you can have an issue with the bike, not so. They just did the job absolutely perfectly. And like I say, only dropped five points over the, whole, over the maximum over the whole weekend. So just job done. He said at Donington, look, we've got to make air while the sun shines. And that is an example of completely making air while the sun shines. Well, exactly. This time last week, we were sat in the TV compound at Donington. And I said to you, who would you still put your money on for the championship if you had to right now? And he said, I'd probably still go with Bautista. So I've got to ask you, Whit. How are you feeling about that now after what's happened here? 81-point lead for Jonathan Ray, 248 points left. Who would you put your money on now? Uh, it's quite difficult, actually, isn't it? It is, but I've got to go with Jonathan Ray now. I think he's, he's in the ascendancy. I think his confidence is going to be running really high. And they're going to a couple of places where the bike will suit. I think the last two circuits we go to, Argentina and Qatar, I think is really Ducati territory. And remember, he doesn't have to worry about anybody else. Yeah. Except Bautista. Yeah. He doesn't have to really worry about Chas Davis or Toprak or anybody else. And Alex Laws, he's, he's got enough of a, of a cushion over those riders. So, yeah, I'd go with Jonathan now. This is the thing, isn't it? Jonathan Ray very, very seldom makes errors. And that's not us bigging up Jonathan Ray. We sometimes get accused on Twitter of favouring Jonathan Ray. We really don't. Believe us, we do not. However, the facts are facts, and he very rarely makes errors. And if he keeps finishing second, third, even a fourth, even if Bautista wins all the races, it's still looking very good for Jonathan Ray. And I can't imagine Bautista is going to win all the races that remain. No. I mean, and he has to come back and win every single race and still hope that something befalls Jonathan Ray, and that's unlikely. Uh, let's talk a quick bit about 2020. Yep. The man who everyone's talking about at Laguna this weekend is Toprak Razgatioglu. Yeah. Obviously, we've seen him in the paddock. Now, we were almost sure he was going to be on a Pachetti bike in Pachetti colours next year, but with full factory support. And all of a sudden, almost out of nowhere, there's rumours about Honda, very strong rumours about Yamaha. Could he potentially replace, you would imagine it would be Alex Lowe's, judging by what people are saying in the paddock, for next year? I can't see him leaving the Kawasaki family. I've been wrong before, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, the fact is he, he feels really settled or, or seems really settled uh, with the Kawasaki family. He's got a team that has built completely around him, his own sponsors, his own crew that work really well. Uh, and obviously we trust and trust him. Um, but he's going to be fairly hot property. He's top rack. He's only 22 still. And, you know, he's, he's obviously going places in this paddock and people will want to get on board with that. And you, you can see why people would be thinking, yep, he's worth a punt and he's been linked now with Yamaha and Honda and who knows he's in it for a job he's, he wants to be world champ but you also you got to make a living and, and, and who knows um, 
it does seem settled though with with Kawasaki. I've got to say, another man who's been talked about a lot in terms of contracts is Chas Davis. But actually, to be fair, Chas is on a two-year deal at the moment for this year and next year. Although contracts don't seem to seem as much as they used to, I must say. However, look at the weekend Chas Davis has had. Isn't it funny how Bautista's gone one way and Chaz has gone the other way? But finally, for the first time since Motorland Aragon last year, Chaz Davis is back. How good is that? Yeah, a man who goes into the summer break feeling really well. He's obviously Chaz. He's going to have a, re- a really nice holiday somewhere, I'm sure. Just uh, brilliant to see. He's a, he's a really nice bloke, uh, really articulate, wears his out on his sleeve, very emotional at times about his, you know where he is in the sport and very honest about where he is in the sport. And if it's his fault, he'll say it's his fault, which is why it's so popular. Great to see him back uh, on a little bit of form. Whether he can continue that into the rest of the season, really hope he can. He does like it here. He's won round Laguna before, so if it was going to happen anywhere, it probably was going to be Laguna. But his confidence is this sport. It's A lot of it's in, in the head and... If he's just made a little bit of a breakthrough, he's got a bike he's a little bit more confident with, and and he's you know he's a little bit more confident in himself and his head's right. Who knows? And considering James, he's had a few injuries over the last few years. He had to develop the new V twin Ducati. This year, he's been developing the new V four Ducati. He's won thirty of his two hundred and two World Superbike races. Of course, he had his two hundredth here yesterday, Saturday. Fourteen percent, nearly fifteen percent hit rate. Not bad at all. No, that's that's a, a, a reasonable hit rate. Um, he's also uh, one of the things I like about him is he's, he's really been prepared to try hard and fall off right at the front, pushing for championships when other people wouldn't. You know, he's a real honest, really brave, but really nice rider as well. Good, good bloke. Now, this is the last point of the year after round three, then six, and now nine that we could have some rev changes. Can you see the organisers making changes? What, what would they do now? Would they... <laughs> Funnily enough, give the Ducati more, maybe, or take some off the Kawasaki. I'm thinking, actually, my feeling is, for what it's worth, it's maybe going to stay the same. What do you think? I think exactly the same. I, I, I didn't understand the original uh, way it was explained to me about how they decide who and when. To, well, I know when, because it's after three rounds, six rounds, nine rounds. In the, uh, they, they review the balancing rules. But the way they work it out is what I don't understand. It's worked out on algorithms of practice times, how many people on that particular black bike are up the front, um, how fast they go in a single lap, fastest laps of races, etc., and results of races. So I actually think it'll say exactly the same as it is, even though now it would appear or it would seem that it's Kawasaki that is the dominant bike, but yet you watch it on the straight and it's still probably isn't quite as quick as the Ducati so you know you won't want to hamstring a bike that isn't as quick already you know just go further down the field to JD Beach who's been here as a one event rider a wild card effectively I think he's done no harm at all for his reputation he was really unlucky yesterday to have a problem and have to pull into the pits from 11th place he was passed by Kianari riding injured late this afternoon after a Big shunt, actually, a big incident with Del Bianco in the sprint race, which was not JD Beach's fault. I'd say that's a pretty good debut on the world scene. Yeah, I, I think it was as well. Uh, it's a fair amount of talent as a kid. Um, he's won Super Sport Championships, never won a Moto America Super Bike Championship. Fared well at places like Daytona. He's a former Red Bull rookies champ. Uh, 27 now, so he's not a young kid. Um, but yeah, I think he acquitted himself pretty well, especially when you consider that there's slightly different regulations in Moto America and he had to, do, to adapt to the full World Superbike spec bike pretty quickly, albeit a circuit he knows really well. Um, but yeah, it could have been a lot better weekend for him and all the issues were generally not his fault. I think he was riding reasonably well and done himself no harm as a rider. 
Now, we owe you all an apology because I know anybody listening to the podcast very likely would have been watching on Eurosport 2 across the weekend in the UK. We can only say sorry that we had to join you late in the sprint race. We were, believe you me, as frustrated as you were that the tennis was being shown, of course. Wimbledon is a massive event, but we wanted to get to the racing as much as everyone else, James, out of our hands, unfortunately. No excuse, but it was a bit annoying for us. Yeah, and, and, in, and in Eurosport's defence, the... the Tennis was probably the, I think, second longest ever, they were saying, uh, yeah. final of Wimbledon. And tennis is a sport where, you, whether you like it or not, it's a sport that has no fixed time. It'll go on as long as it goes on until there's a winner. So you, can, you can't really call it. Uh, it was a bit frustrating, um, but I think we got most of the action in, I think. Now, we're heading over, of course, to Snetterton. It's all over the place at the moment. Snetterton will be the seventh and final consecutive race weekend in this marathon run we've had over the spring and into the early summer. Snetterton BSB, James, 300 circuit layout. Scott Redding's never been there before. A lot of people talking about Honda, of course. They've had good wins there before. I think it's going to be quite a close weekend, but I have got a funny feeling, I have to say, about Scott Redding, because I think this is going to be much more like what he's used to. It's not sort of classic BSB, is it really? Like Alton Park or or a Cadwell or a Knock Hill. This is more, this is closer to his Grand Prix tracks. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, when you look at the old Snetterton, maybe that was more a little bit quirky English. Yeah. It was a big old airfield, a really long back straight. Um, and now since the 300 layout's been uh, used for BSB, it's a lot more continental, very constant radius corners, fairly flat, um, but it, it it is designed on a CAD system type circuit. Uh, really nice surface, really smooth, and I think it'll suit Scott Redding. And we know already from what he's done this year how well he learned circuits incredibly well and, and incredibly quickly. Um, so I think it is going to be it's going to be Scott Redding territory. I think. Um, but you never know. I mean, he, he hasn't really dominated anywhere, mm. really. It's not like mm. he's cleared off and won by 20 seconds. Yeah, so even at Donington, it was close racing. It, it was close racing and weather affected that he got the best of. And, you know, he, and he does know Donington really well. He's raced at Donington quite a lot. So it's um, tantalising his, his BSB at the minute. Uh, but it does look like he is the real deal, does, uh, does Scott Redding. He, he does learn circuits. He does ride really hard. He is prepared to stick his deck out a little bit and go for wins. So good luck to him. I think he's been a breath of fresh air for the championship. Not that there was anything wrong with BSB. It's always been exciting. It's always had mega depth of field last few years. Uh, but I think it's added another dimension as Scott coming in. For anyone who wasn't with us over the weekend, by the way, you were explaining a story. You were riding, of course, in Scotland last week. Uh, which unfortunately was a bit rained off, wasn't it? You and Neil McKenzie and a few others. But best wishes to your mate because Ian Duffus, that sounded like an absolutely horrendous incident. I mean, how unlucky can you be? Just tell us what happened there. Yeah, I mean, every year about between 8 and 12 ex-bike racers, including people like myself, Neil McKenzie, Ian Simpson, Ian Duffus, Brian Morrison, uh, Ian McPherson, uh, we get together and have a ride around Scotland, sometimes Ireland, on road bikes at a nice steady pace and it's more about uh, having a beer on a, for a couple of nights that's all uh, having a bit a decent ride with your old mates who you don't see much of uh, and having a few beers and talking on an evening uh, about your old racing days and <laughs> it was last week we got really really wet and then on his way back it got quite stormy and we were riding through a little village called Alpin or Alpan uh, near Fort William anyway uh, and a Next village on would be called Balahoolish. And, um, that's a good name, yeah. And a tree 
that had been stood there for about 150 years blew down right across the road about 10 foot in front of my mate and XTT oh. winner Ian Duffus and he clattered into it albeit not that quick but still quick enough to be in a big tree and ended up with a broken arm and cracked pelvis in Fort William Hospital so yeah I mean my mum always said motorbikes were fairly dangerous and and you know, so they are if they're abused, like a lot of machines, but you don't expect to get a tree I mean, falling on I mean, you. The irony of ironies, XTT winners and the Isle of Man TT, you yeah. can't really think of something that much more dangerous than the Isle of Man TT, and a tree lands on it. Yeah, yeah, ironic, really. Um, but he's all right, he'll survive. Um, poor old Duff, anyway, all the best, mate. A quick podcast for us this week. So just four minutes to go before we hit the twenty-minute mark. Anything else you wanted to talk about before we go home? Yeah, Marco Malandri um, and his retirement. Um, I've never been the massivest um, Marco Malandri fan. He's caused a few issues with good mates of mine, including um, Leon Aslam. <laughs> and Leon always said he was a prickly character. The fact is, with Marco, everybody has always had a lot of respect for what he's done and how he's gone about his racing and his ability on a motorbike. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he's been the easiest person to get on at the, with at the other side of a garage. But he's announced his retirement, and I tell you what, he's always been honest. That's what he's always been honest, I think, in interviews. And he's had a career that when you look back at that career in 20 years or you're telling your grandkids about it and showing them some pictures when they sat on your knee, I tell you what, careers in road racing don't get a lot more impressive than that he's ridden every kind of bikes from 125 two strokes 252 strokes motor gp bikes of a couple of different eras and capacities and then super bikes and he's been fast on them all and won on them all yes he most certainly has there's no doubt about that a lot of the up-and-coming riders now people like del bianco and others have obviously had posters of melandri on their walls haven't they over the years uh, real, real hero, Marco Melandri. Very quick shout out finally to a man who I know usually listens to the podcast. So I hope you are now Ian Wheeler, the Pata Yamaha press officer, uh, for your insight as always across the weekend, helping us to do our job properly. But also, far more importantly, uh, your role in the salvaging, salvage job of the coffee machine at Yamaha. And Derek, of course, James, who I forgot to mention in the commentary for Laguna this weekend, but Derek the Squirrel. Uh, Ian is an ex army man. Not the kind of man you'd really be expecting to name a squirrel, Derek, uh, as Derek ventured his way into the Yamaha garage earlier this weekend. Yeah, and the weird thing about uh, Lagoon is there's always been a lot of squirrels here, and it's yeah, we- yeah. they're kind of ground squirrels. I don't know what kind of squirrels they are. They're but very friendly squirrels. They are, because people feed them. That's why. You, you take <laughs> yeah. them uh, little nuts and treats and crisps, and so they get used to you, and they're very friendly. But there's no trees, really. That's it's, true. It's kind of brushland. Yeah. There's a few bushes, but there must be some kind of ground-burrowing, squirrelly things. But anyway, uh, they're, they're there in the queue, and, and he adopted one, or the Yamaha garage adopted them uh, one this weekend. So, yeah, good on you. James, thanks very much. Have a good trip home. We will be live, of course, from Saturday and Sunday. But, of course, Facebook Live with you and Matt from the pit lane, I would imagine. Rachel Stringer as well and Shaky Byrne. Um, at Snetterton, of course, that's this weekend on Eurosport 2. So we will see you in Norfolk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.